When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study, and uh, we're excited that you're back with us again today. We will be continuing our walk through 1 Corinthians. If you want to go ahead and turn there uh, and uh, or to, uh, with your phone or, or a copy of God's Word, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. We finished up 11 last week. If you're just now joining us for this, uh, this series uh, as we walk through 1 Corinthians, uh, you can always go back uh, a couple of places to catch those you may have missed. Uh, you can go to rickandbubba.com, click on the YouTube channel, hit the playlist, and you'll see Men's Bible Study. It's there. Uh, you can find the, the series on 1 Corinthians. You can go to burgessministries.com, click on Listen, and you can see audio-only archives there. You also can find audio archives, if you haven't waited too long, uh, on the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. Once you get several weeks down the road, though, that's kind of hard to find. But but you can certainly find them at burgessministries.com. Uh, let's talk a little bit uh, about what's going on. Uh, as we go out on the road this week, High Point, North Carolina, I'll be there this weekend. Uh, if you are listening uh, to the uh, uh, the Bible study on the actual week that it ran, uh, I'll be there November 5th and 6th, uh, and I'll be with the, the men of Green Street Baptist Church. Uh, they're going to do a, a man church uh, weekend, so I'll be speaking Friday night and on Saturday as they implement uh, the men's discipleship strategy. And then Sherry will be out on the 6th this weekend as well. She'll be in Union City, Tennessee. Uh, and she'll be at Calvary Baptist Church with the women. That's during the day. Uh, that is ticketed, uh, but your ticket does include a lunch that day. Then Sherry will be speaking after. If you would like to find out where uh, our other speakers are out and about, we have men from Team Man Church that are speaking at Man Churches. We have nine different Man Churches here in the month of November. Uh, I think it would take up too much of our time to list each and every one of them. But if you'll go to themanchurch.com and you click on Upcoming Events, when you click that, the only thing you find there are man churches, and these are services that are part of the men's discipleship strategy where there's one of our speakers and teachers. It may be me or it may be some of the other guys on the team, uh, and they are with churches that are kicking off the discipleship strategy or they're with churches that are somewhere in the middle of the strategy. But you can go find a man church near you, and uh, you can go hear these speakers. And if you're not already plugged into one of our small group curriculums, you can plug in there uh, with the church that's hosting that. So find all those details at themanchurch.com. And it looks like this weekend we've got uh, one, two, three, uh, three going on just this weekend in Dothan, Colquick, uh, Dothan, Alabama, Colquick, Georgia, and Morris, Alabama. So so check that at themanchurch.com. Let's uh, open up in a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into our study today. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to open up your holy word and and just just learn from this today. I mean, uh, just like I, I heard being taught this last Sunday, what do we need other than your word? Uh, there's, there's nothing that we can uh, know more than to actually get into your inspired word and hear what you have to say on whatever topic that we're discussing. And uh, I remember the great John Lennox hearing him say that of all the science, all the philosophy, all the things that mankind can come up with, uh, these things cannot even answer the questions of a child. Who am I, where did I come from, and why am I here? Only the Bible answers the questions of a child. Uh, And these are the questions that if we were honest, we want to know too. Uh, So help us, Lord, as today we find out more about you as we open your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we finished uh, 11. And remember what's happened on our journey with with this this letter that, that Paul has written to the church at Corinth. Uh, this is a church uh, that was in a sin city, S-I-N. Uh, this was the Las Vegas of its day. Uh, there, there was every sort of debauchery you could think of. Uh, and Paul is talking to these former pagans, and he's going to mention that today, by the way, right out of the gate. And, and he's talking to them about let's not fall back into the old routines of our sin. Let's, let's not let the sin outside come into this church. And he's even reminded them, of, of the sins and the lifestyles of the people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, you once were this way, meaning since you've been redeemed, you're not that way anymore. So let's remember who we are. 
Let's remember that we're redeemed. Let's remember who redeemed us. He's going to talk about that again today. Uh, and let's live a life that is consistent uh, on what we claim, and that is that we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. So he's he's talked about the you know the the order in the church. Remember the first few chapters. He's talking about some things that are on his mind, and now we're continuing uh, for him answering questions about things he was specifically asked about. And, and today he's going to talk a little bit about spiritual gifts. Now, th- this is this can be uh, this can be difficult because uh, there's a lot of theological disagreements about this sort of thing. Uh, I'm going to try to stay out of those if I can because I know that this Bible study, uh, it, it, it boy, has a wide range. We have people that are have been devout followers of Jesus for a long time that are just enjoying a study of God's Word, and they're growing and maturing in their faith. Uh, we have people that, um, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're spiritual infants, but they don't doubt their redemption, and this is the first time that they really have started growing in their faith and learning. And then we have seekers that are just coming by, kicking the tires, and trying to find out what this is all about. And Paul had has instructed us, be careful about the discussions that you're having and try not to confuse the children. Don't confuse the immature or the seeker. So I, I'm not going to land a whole lot today in a lot of theological discussions uh, where denominations in the faith may disagree. But I am going to tell you what the Bible says and then kind of let that fall where it may. And if you have some follow-up questions, we can certainly discuss those privately if you would like. So, uh, so anyway, uh, the church in, in Scripture has been betrayed as, as a number of things. We see it betrayed as, as a family. The church is a family. Uh, we've seen it portrayed as one that uh, probably should be talked about more, and that is kind of a military setup, an army that is going to, to – that even the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Remember, the gate is, is, is a defensive mechanism. I think a lot of times when, he, when we think about Jesus talking about that, we've mentioned that here, we, we almost think about that um, – that, that hell's coming after the church, and certainly that's true, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He said, the gates of hell can't stand against my church. They can put up a fence all they want to. They can put up a gate, but we will, go, we, we will knock it down, and it can't even be defended against the church, and we'll deliver people out of hell. Uh, so it, we have that. It's been, it's been portrayed as what, a temple? Uh, it's been portrayed as a house of prayer? Uh, it's been portrayed even as a bride. Uh, that's an analogy that Scripture uses about the church, and, and it's used a lot. The one that Paul talks about in his letters quite often, though, is a body. And today he's going to talk about that again, that picture a human body, that the church is like that, and the body has all these different parts that do different things, but they're all part of the same body. And he's going to, he's going to hit that analogy again today. And, and he keeps on talking, and he's done this in three of his letters about a body, but in this one he keeps on discussing that he wants to see in the church, he wants to see unity, he wants to see diversity, and he wants to see maturity. He, he's saying don't fall back and, and, and go backward uh, in, in your maturation in the faith. Let's not have disunity, and let's be sure that we understand the diversity of the church. Now, the times we're living in in this particular country, and I know some of you watch and listen to this from other countries, Paul's not talking about ethnicity here. I know we're obsessed with eth- ethnicity right now in our country, and, uh, but this is not what he's talking about. He's already made that clear in his letter to uh, the Colossians when he said, we're, we're kind of done with, with identifying ourselves with ethnicity. Uh, the, the church is one race of people. Uh, you know, we've said goodbye to all these things that divide us, uh, and we're all one people under one Lord and all equal at the foot of the cross. When he talks about diversity, it's more what we're going to unpack today. He's talking about the different gifts. Uh, that they are diverse, and uh, not everybody have this, has the same gifting. Not everybody uh, is called to do the same thing in the church, but we, all part, we are part of one body. So he starts out talking about this because the Holy Spirit had been grieved uh, by the way that uh, the church at Corinth was using their spiritual gifts. Uh, the church at Corinth was very gifted spiritually, and Paul's talked about this, but uh, they, he, he felt like that right now, and he's going to talk to them about this, that instead of them acting like adults that had been given by God valuable tools, they were acting more like children who had been given toys. Uh, and he's about to correct a lot of that. He, he says, y'all need to grow up a little bit. You're, 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 the way you're applying the spiritual gifts and the way you're acting about your giftingness is like a bunch of children. You're, you're very immature with this, and, and I'm going to set that straight. And he starts off... Um, uh, talking about this, he wants to start in verses 1 through 13. He wants to talk about oneness. 
He wants to talk about oneness, and, and we'll do the first three verses. Listen, he says, now concerning, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm using the ESV, uh, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, remember he's reminding them of what, what they had been delivered from, you were led astray to, to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except for the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you know, if, if you're claiming that you've been delivered from paganism, um, and, and this is when y'all used to chase, chase after all these dead idols, uh, no one who has been redeemed by Jesus would be speaking ill of Jesus. Uh, no, no, they would be saying Jesus is Lord, and, and only those who had been redeemed will say this. You know, we confess the same Lord, uh, and, and so what he's trying to show them the contrast here, he goes, you didn't say that when you were unconverted pagans, but in your, in your, in your present status as, as born-again Christians, uh, these dead idols versus a living God should look very silly to you. How can you be falling back into this mess? Because when you've been redeemed, you have now been introduced to the living God, and now these dead idols should seem foolish to you. Uh, and, and I think that, that you may be thinking to yourself, well, Rick, I don't know how that really applies to me. I, I don't, I'm not falling back in. I, I, never, I never was a pagan. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you may not call yourself a pagan, uh, but, but I certainly acted like one. Uh, I had all kinds of idols uh, that, I, that, I, that I worship, and, and there, there have been idols throughout my, my walk with Jesus, even though I was redeemed. I, I will say there's been periods of time, even when I was redeemed, that I found myself chasing after these old idols. Uh, and, and what he's saying is that, that that really shouldn't be if you're going to grow up spiritually. Surely, since you've tasted the living God, how can you still be hungering for these things that were sinful in your past? Now, you may not have, have ever had in your life an actual idol that you have set up that you went to worship, but you probably, I mean, I've talked about this, and it's really one of the things that God keeps revealing himself as being uh, so real to me because... Um, I had I had one guy that didn't understand it. I, I was talking about even on the, I, I host a radio show for some of you who don't know that, and I was discussing that I'm literally losing my desire for things that 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 I used to just love, and 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 in and of themselves they really weren't they weren't I wouldn't necessarily say they were immoral, but, but what made them sinful is that they meant too much to me. They meant more to me than God, and I I li- I loved them more than I did God, and. Um, so I, I said, God has really corrected that. And, and the more that I've grown in my, in my spiritual life and the more I've matured, I'm literally supernaturally losing my desire for them. I mean, almost to the point that I'm even saying, well, I didn't, I was going to go this far with it. I, I'm really getting, I don't care about it at all. And this is things like sports and things like hobbies and, and uh, even, even things that, that are, that are great, that, that, that were okay, but they, they meant too much to me. Um, I, I did not, I know the Braves won the World Series. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even watch it. I just didn't. I even tried to watch it, and I was like, I just, just doesn't. It just doesn't do anything for me anymore. Uh, I can't remember the last time I've watched an entire football game. Have no desire to attend one. Um, can't remember the last time I went to a concert. Uh, don't really have a desire for that. Uh, certainly love to, to to you know still still listen to music from time to time. Don't listen to it like I used used to if it's secular music. I not that. Not that I don't listen to secular music at all, but I don't really care about it. Uh, I'm not that drawn to it. I certainly don't have a desire to go see a concert like I and I used to, you know, never never miss one. I, and I think this is just things that that God is taking away, and but but it's getting to the point where I know what He was trying to do is saying put it in the proper balance. But I think I've become so engrossed in Him now I don't really have a taste for it at all. It just doesn't draw me. I, if, if I've got time, I'd rather spend it on on something else. Uh, and, and, and usually I would prefer to be spending on something that involves him. Uh, it just seems to be good use of time because I sense that I'm 57 years old and I've already lived longer here than I'm going to live. I, I, I don't, I don't see me, you know, somebody told me the other day, Oh, you're middle-aged. I said, I don't think I'm middle-aged. Uh, I don't think I'm going to live 57 more years. Uh, you know, I, I'm, that's going to be a record. I'm going to be impressive. Uh, but, uh, but so I've already lived longer than I'm going to live. 
Uh, and and Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime, or I'm going to die. You know, COVID or not. I'm, I mean, that that's something's going to get me, even if I you know get away from the 99% survival rate of this pandemic. But but if if but but something's going to get me, or Jesus is going to come back. So it, I, I guess as I'm getting older, you know, I'm not as stupid as I was when I was young that thought I have all this time. I know I don't. So I, I really want to be. I really want to be wise with it. Uh, but I want you to understand. I don't have the ability to prioritize that way. I don't. It's supernatural. It's just that 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 that, that Jesus is so overwhelming that He has become so much better than anything else that I'm losing interest in these other things. Um, and and I and 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 I and I say Amen to that. Praise God. Uh, doesn't mean life's easy. Doesn't mean we don't have difficult things. Uh, and it doesn't mean that I can't have a day that I'd say today I'm going to go do something just because it's fun. I'm just saying that the balance of my life is being tilted toward God, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And Paul is saying to these former pagans, surely you can't be drawn back to these things. I, 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 how can you even care about them anymore? And, and he says, because no one who's ever experience jesus would then turn around and say well i'll tell you what i just didn't think he was a big deal jesus I, I, he's accursed he goes no one would say that that truly experienced jesus you know people that haven't been changed by jesus i'm learning this more and more in scripture they just have never had jesus they might have believed in him or they might have been aware of him but it's impossible to encounter jesus and 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 remain the same because remember you've heard me teach that a lot because that means that jesus has no power jesus came to my life he really had no impact what are you saying about Jesus? You're saying Jesus is accursed, and that's what Paul is saying. He said, um, and then this is an interesting one you've heard before, that only the redeemed will declare that Jesus is Lord. Only the redeemed. You know, this is one of those things that James was talking about, about the demonic faith. This is the thing that you saw in, in Acts chapter 19, you know, when the, the sons of the Pharisee, uh, Sceva or Sceva, however you say it, uh, they wanted to, you know, cast out this demon by using the name of Jesus that Paul called upon, and you know, the evil spirit says, "Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. Who are you?" And and so, and people say, "Well, what's the difference in 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 a true re- redemption and a demonic faith?" So the demonics believe in Jesus. The, the 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 he said, I mean, this demon said to these guys, "Jesus, I know." Uh, they were the ones that got him right when the, the the disciples didn't get him right. They always called him the right thing. So what's the difference in a demonic faith and a true faith? And and you find throughout Scripture, and here's Paul saying again, but but those that oppose Jesus but still believe in him, they will not acknowledge him as Lord. Only the redeemed do that. Only the redeemed leave faith in self and and take all the faith in self and and put faith totally on Jesus, saying, "You are my complete authority." I no longer fight against you. I belong to you, and I acknowledge your place in the universe. See, demons don't do that. They may they they may not be more powerful than Jesus, and and Jesus can command them to do whatever He wants them to do. That's true, but they're fighting against Him, and they are trying to throw Him off His place as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Where the redeemed say, "No, that's where you should be, and I'm under your authority," and I. I I belong to you, and I'm changed by you. And so Paul is saying, if you have not done that and you don't have that kind of attitude, then something is wrong. And then he says in verses 4 through 6, by the way, the church, the unity I'm looking for, first of all, we all acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is what, existed? No. No, that Jesus is Lord. And you believe that his father rose from the dead on the third day, you will be saved. So he said, all of us in the church, regardless of spiritual gifts, we are unified that Jesus is Lord. Verses 4 through 6, he says, and we are all unified that we depend on the same God. We received our gifts from the same God, and here's what he says. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Underline that. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, why is that important? Because if we acknowledge 
that the person who has the gift of service has been empowered by the same God that gave someone else else the gift of evangelism, then we realize that neither one of these should look at the other and say, well, my gift is more important than yours. Or, or I should be I should be elevated. No. The the, the, the same God that empowered the, the gift of communication also in, empowered the gift of service. And God doesn't see one as more important than the other. So he's the one that should be glorified, not us. We shouldn't be glorifying ourselves. Look, look how much I serve all over Instagram. Look at me serve. Look at me, look at me communicate. Look at me do this. Look at do that. No, what, it, what he says is we should not be competing with our gifts. What we should all be doing is acknowledging that without the same God, none of us will be able to do any of this. There, there, there shouldn't be a competition about this. There shouldn't be, I got gifts, yes, I do. I got gifts, how about you? Uh, what it should be is that we're all uh, under the same Lord. We've all been empowered by the same God. And, and so we need to remember this, no matter what gift that we've gotten, the only thing good about the gift you may have is the God who gave it to you. There's nothing good about you. There's nothing good about me. And, and I don't know how to break it to all of us. He doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. What God wants to do in your life is something you get to do. It's not something you have to do, or, or it's not something he needs you to do. It's something he commands you to do. It's something he empowers you to do. And that's the one thing we have to understand. The Lord is never going to call us to something that he won't then empower us to do. T- too many times somebody will say, well, I know that's a call, and I'm trying to figure out if that's a call on my, life, on my life, but I just don't see that I could ever do that. No, you probably can't, but he can. He, he really doesn't want to put you in a position where people say, well, that guy could have pulled that off. I know that. No, he's putting you in a position where people say, wow, what a great God. Have you ever heard the term, any old bush will do? You know, that's the problem with people because we're always wanting to glorify ourselves or glorify something other than God. You know, you heard this before. Too many people look at God speaking to Moses through the bush and where they say, wow, what a, that's an incredible bush. And so I said, no, it's an incredible God. Any bush would have worked. He could have spoke through any plant or anything. There's nothing special about that bush. There's something wonderful about God. There's nothing special about this speaker. There's just something wonderful about God. There's nothing special about this guy that's running the orphanage. There's something wonderful about a God that would convince somebody to do that and then provide what he needs. But too many times we want to be human worshipers or worshipers of self. Join me in this prayer. I do it every day, and and on the days I forget, you know, I'm usually reminded, Lord, help me today. Help me against my biggest enemy, myself. Because boy, old self loves to get on that throne, doesn't he? Man, he just can't wait to get up there. Uh, and then even when you're doing something for the Lord, old self just wants to want to be acknowledged. Why is no one acknowledging this? Why is no one patting me on the back and saying good job? What should, what should we be hoping? What is it if, if, we're, if we're following and being obedient and using the gift that's given to us by God, what we should hope and hope only is that God says well done. Because I got news for you. A lot of times people clap for you when you're wrong. The, the, the question is, is God applauding? Or we do everything for an audience of one because the world is so fickle and usually so wrong and their standards so bent out of shape. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have people in your life that are there of God and you need to listen to their wisdom. I'm not saying that at all. But I'd be real careful about wanting to be patted on the back by human beings and that be more important to you than hearing well done from the one and only living God. I'd be real careful with that. That can get bent out of shape. The next thing that Paul wants uh, wants them to know in verses 7 through 11, he says, all right, I've told you that we all acknowledge the same Lord, Jesus Christ. We're under his authority. We all depend on the same God. And then the next thing he says, we minister to the same body. We're all ministering to the same people. And this is verses 7 uh, through 11. Let's read those in 1 Corinthians 12. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For, the one, for, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, uh, to another faith by the same Spirit, to, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, uh, to another the interpretation of tongues, 
all these are empowered by by one and the same Spirit, uh, who 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 apportions to each one individually as He wills. Spirit does whatever He wants. So the Holy Spirit is the one that decides and empowers the various gifts, and He delves that out as He sees His will, the, the will of, of of the Holy Spirit being done, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So so what does He mean? So so the gifts are given for the good of the whole church. These gifts are not given to anyone to bring glory to a human being. They're not given to anyone to put on a show. They're not given to anyone to do anything else but to glorify God and to do what God said to do and for the good of, of the people to which we are to minister. These are not for individual enjoyment. They are not from look what I can do. Uh, but, but they're for the, the, the corporate church. And this was a reminder the Corinthians really needed to hear because they were using their spiritual gifts selfishly, and they were doing this, what, to promote themselves, not to prosper the church. Be real careful about that. I know that sometimes the, 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 the worst thing that could ever happen if, when you know you have a problem, if the Holy Spirit has delved out a gift to you and, and you've used that gift and you've seen God move, let me tell you, when you know you're in trouble, and I'm speaking for someone who's experienced this, when you think, man, I really did good. Tell you what, I, I, I tell you, I, there's some people I hate they miss this. Uh, and, and before you know it, it's not look how powerful God is and may he move upon those that came today. It, it becomes the, wow, what a show that was, and I hate some people missed it. And see, and that's what it can't be. And the, and the Corinthians were, were really struggling with that. We need to accept a gift from God, first of all, with humility. This is one of the things that my wife, who has a spiritual gift of discernment, she incredible gift of discernment, uh, wish I would listen to it more often. Uh, and you know, I don't know how many more times she has to be right for me to go, maybe I should listen when she's discerning uh, uh, the proper spirit. And, uh, and she tells me all the time, be leery of anybody that lacks humility. If you don't see humility in this person, do not minister with them. They're going to come back to burn you. Be careful of those who flatter you. If you've, if you've just met a person and you haven't known them for any amount of time and they start bragging on how gifted they think you are, or how anointed they say you are, stay away from that person. Be careful of those who flatter you that don't know you. And, uh, and, and she has been right on the times that I was enamored by the flattery only to discover the person had an agenda. Uh, and because I'm a flawed human being, they were able to, to, to get inside by what? Pat me on the back and tell me how great I am. And uh, I remember one time a guy was, oh, you're such a gifted teacher. You're such a gifted teacher. And he came to this Bible study one time. Then came the ask that my wife said was coming. He wants something. And when he made the ask and I did not oblige, he never came back. And my wife said, told you. He was not sincere about wanting to come to your Bible study and, and grow in the faith. He was, he, was, he was giving you flattery because he wanted something from you. And then when he didn't get it, did he ever come back? And I said, no, he really didn't. And she goes, well, make a note of that. So, yes, ma'am. Uh, so anyway, so, so he goes on to talk about why this is important. Now, there's going to be some things in here that I don't want to start anything other than just tell you what some different views are. I'm not even going to tell you what, what, I, what, what my view is because who cares what my view is. I'm going to tell you there's some different views. So, he begins to name uh, the various gifts in verses 8 through, through 10. He's going to do that again in verse 28. Uh, you also can find him naming the different gifts. If you'd like to look at some of the different gifts of the Spirit, you want to write these down, you'll find uh, some of these in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 11. He also mentions them, uh, believe it or not, in, in the book of Romans, in, in chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. So when you combine the list, you really end up with 19 different gifts and offices. Uh, but remember, in, in Romans, it's not identical with the listings of 1 Corinthians, so we have to assume that Paul was not attempting to exhaust the subject in either passage, meaning there were some he didn't mention in one, he might have mentioned in the other. Uh, so the, the gifts are named, and they're adequate for the ministry of the church. But remember this, God's not limited to these lists. You know, don't, I don't, what, what, what the commentaries that I read are saying is be real careful saying, well, there must only be these that are listed here. Uh, what, what they were doing is they were just giving us an idea of the different categories 
of gifts, but uh, God's not limited by any of that. He give, He may give a gift uh, that is not listed in any of these lists just because he's God and he can do what he wants. Uh, so this is not a, be careful, there's nothing outside these lists. It, it, it's not that. It's just listing the ones um, that, that are... Um, that, that, that they have already seen. So when you get into these uh, gifts, there, there are people that uh, believe you have the, uh, uh, the, those that are called the uh, cessationism. Now, cessationism, these are people that believe that Scripture teaches that there were certain gifts that were given to the apostles to establish the foundation of the church. And once the church has been established, those gifts are gone. Uh, and these are these are gifts of healing. Uh, these these are gifts of uh, future. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about somebody has a prophetic word, meaning, hey, I need to tell y'all something. Uh, God's. Te- I'm talking about people who could see the future. And the reason why the the people who fall into this theology, um, they believe that these gifts were needed at a time because the church was not established, and we did not have the whole New Testament finished. There, there were there were letters, and people were grabbing them. They were trying to put them together. So some people needed these gifts to say, I can tell you what God said and what God is saying because I know it and I have the gift to tell you. And, oh, by the way, this was said in this letter, and we don't have a copy of it, but I know it. God's given me the ability to know it. And there was a need for people to be able to come in and just say, here's what the Lord wants you to know, and here's what's going to happen, and here's what's coming, and here's what he wants this group to do. And then, of course, as you saw Jesus doing this. Now, I'm not saying I'm not landing on one or the other because there's another theology, too, that disagrees with this. But what these people are saying is even Jesus himself only healed people and only performed miracles because he was he, during that time he had to prove that he was who he said he was. And he even said, when they said, why is this guy blind? He said, no, he didn't do anything wrong. He's blind, so I can come by and heal him because I need to show who I am. Did Jesus heal every person that was blind? No. Did Jesus tell every lame man to walk? No. Uh, did the apostles tell every lame man to walk? No. Did they heal every sick person? No. So, so it, what they're saying with these particular gifts, and you don't, you you can disagree with this. This is not a salvation issue. They're saying that these gifts were needed for a time, and they're not needed anymore. The church is established. The scriptures are full. The canon is done. Everything you need to know from God has been established, and now we're back to the real healing, which is spiritual. And, and I will say this, I'm not going to come down on one or the other, but I will say this, and, I'm, and if, if there's exceptions, I apologize. Be real, real careful with making a big deal out of these gifts. Extremely careful. Jesus himself warned us to be careful with these gifts of miracles and signs and wonders. Be extremely careful with these. In the time that we're living in, most of the people that are doing this, they are not of the Lord. I'm just telling you that straight up. And most of it does not come from our Lord. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't ever happen. Certainly there's some that are show and fake, and we've revealed all that. That's been revealed many times, that these are charlatans. But now, there are some things that are straight up supernatural. They're just not of the Lord. Because guess who else can do miracles? Satan. So just because somebody performed a miracle, you go, well, you can't deny that's a miracle. You better be sure and discern that's of the Lord. Is it glorifying God or is it glorifying this? What's the reason for this? Is it chaotic? Is it not, is there order to it? What what why what is this? Did it come from the Lord? And what Jesus said, if you want to follow me, don't just come up here looking for signs and wonders. We see in the Gospel of John, remember we studied that? There were people following him because of the signs and wonders, and they and he he said what? He did not reveal himself to them. They were with him, but he wasn't with them. Because what? He knew the heart of man. They were following a show. They wanted to see miracles. They wanted him to overthrow the Romans. They thought this supernatural stuff could come in handy. And he's going, no, no, no. I'm doing the supernatural stuff to prove to you that I really am God. Because if that's not the case, why don't you just heal everybody? But he didn't. You ever thought about these people that say they have the gift of healing? Why is there a hospital with anybody in it not healed? Why don't they just pull up to the hospital and go and, and just, why do they have to tell you to come to them? Why can't they just go to where sick people are? Why do you have to come to this service? Why is it set up? I got to come to you. Why don't you come to me? If I had the gift of healing, I'd try to heal everybody. And uh, and I would say, Lord, I, obviously your will be done, but 
why am I denying my gift of healing to, to anybody that's sick or bothered? I mean, we just found out, Tom, one of our guys, some of the guys are not in here today. Why am I not with them right now with my hand on them? To be sure that, they, that, they, that we can end this situation right now, especially if they have enough faith. And see, the other thing when you get into this kind of garbage is always trying to be an indicator of faith. And then what happens? If somebody doesn't get healed or somebody's baby dies, then they look at God and go, what am I doing wrong? Did I not have enough faith? And, of course, I've already told you that Paul was not able to get a thorn removed from his flesh, and I assure you that Paul's faith was never in doubt. So be careful with these people. But then there's the others, and they're the continuationism folks, which means they believe the gifts of healing, of talking to the future, and you know apostles. They don't believe that's been fulfilled. They think it's still going. And um, you probably can get a tone from me where I think think where I probably land, but that's not important. You you could certainly disagree with me, and if you can support that with scripture, uh, then you certainly have the right to do that. Uh, but those are two different points of view. But remember that uh, that that this this thing about the church being in fragments and and Jesus trying to reveal him to himself as God, that's a pretty good thing to know. That's a that's a good thing to think about. And I will say this with zero hesitation: do not obsess over signs and wonders. I know these people. If a church is not meeting in a gym somewhere and they're not casting out demons, they think God's not moving. Be real careful with that kind of stuff. And some of you are not mature enough, by the way, to be going into that world of spiritual warfare. You, you need to grow a little. Because if you walk in there and you're not spiritually mature enough for spiritual warfare, you know, just be real careful obsessing over that kind of stuff. I don't think that's healthy spiritually, uh, looking for signs and wonders. What we need to say is the gospel has been completed. Jesus has paid the price for my sin. Jesus has gone into the tomb. He has risen from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He has walked with the apostles for 40 days. He handed out his spirit in Acts chapter 2. The church age began, and the church is rolling, and the, the, the scriptures are complete, and we have been called to go make disciples and advance his kingdom. That's where I'd, I'd stay right there because, because that's an undeniable call on all of us. And frankly, if we concentrated on that to the level that we should, you really don't have time for this other stuff. But be very leery of those people. Be very leery. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll leave it at that. So, so another thing uh, that, that we're talking about, what? He says, he says you know, unlike when, when, when we look at the different gifts, and, and he rose through some of these, and I, I won't land on all of them because it'll take up too much of your time. We got gifts of teachers, which, by the way, uh, you know, this is one of those things you got to be careful of too. James 3.1 tells us if you have the gift of being a teacher, this means that you've been instructed to, uh, uh, to take doctrinal truths of, of the Christian life. You need to teach the Word of God. Uh, and, um, you know, remember the teachers, unlike the prophets, uh, they, the, the teachers don't get their message immediately from the Spirit. They actually get in the Word, and they know the Word, and they begin to teach, and they unpack it, and they put together these, these, these messages that we all benefit from. A, a, a prophetic word means somebody from the Spirit says, the Lord wants me to say this right now, and this is from the Lord. It's not from me, and this is something he wants you to know. Uh, and uh, we're, we're teachers. Now they're they're walking through the Word of God. They're setting up their plans. They're doing like we're doing in here. They know what they're doing. They plan what they're going to do. It certainly is inspired by the Spirit because it comes from the Word of God. As long as they're sticking to that. And James says, if you take the call and the gift of teaching, be very careful. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And he says, and the Lord will not take it lightly. And I, I remember having a conversation with someone about that about the, the need for more classes and more classes in our class. These classes are too big. we got to have another class. And I said, well, do you have people that pass the test of a teacher? Well, I mean, if we got went to the standard of what, what people should be teachers, uh, we're, 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 then, then we're not going to have enough classes. And I said, wait a minute, would you ever compromise the standard just so you can have another class? And he said, well, what do you think we should do? I said, I just have bigger classes. I would never according to Scripture, if I can't find but five teachers that pass the test, we'll have five classes. I'm not going to have ten and then five of them be, well, we don't know, maybe. But at least we got smaller classes. But these others that have the people that don't have the gift of teaching, what are they getting? You better be sure get the person with the gift of teaching is teaching. And if that means you don't have many of them, just have bigger classes. Don't compromise the standard so you can have more classes uh, because that's going to do a lot of damage. 
I remember one time finding out that, well, I better be quiet. Never mind. See that discernment that I'm learning? Uh, the, the next one, of course, it talks about there's the gift of the evangelist. You see this in 2 Timothy 4 and 5. Uh, the evangelist is gifted what? Hey, I'm winning souls. It's, it's a gift of evangelism. I'm going out, and my, my whole role is I'm, I'm, go, I'm, I'm going out, and I'm getting people. I'm, I'm, I'm having people be redeemed. I'm presenting the gospel. I'm on the go. I'm, hey, here, 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 and then I'm handing you off to the teachers. And that's the part we miss a lot of times. The evangelist intends us to hand them off to the teachers. And, and sometimes we do that pretty good, and sometimes we don't. But it is a special calling. Um, and then it goes through some of the others. You really could break them down into the, the, the gifts of confirmation, the gifts of communication. Uh, and, um, and, and remember that we are never to be fascinated by these individual gifts. What we should see is that they should bring unity to the body, not glory to the person. Unity to the body, not glory to the person. So the next, uh, the next thing he talks about is we have all experienced the same baptism. Here we go. Be careful. Here we go. Uh, and, uh, and this is verse 12 and 13. Verses 12 and 13 says, For just as the body is one as many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, uh, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and they were all made to drink of one spirit. All right. So th- this is in, why, why is this important? Well, be, be careful because, again, there's some theology out there, and you got to be careful of it. And that is somebody, there some the, the, there's some theology out there in some gatherings of people. They don't believe all of us got the Holy Spirit when we were redeemed. They'd have a hard time with these verses, by the way. So they don't bring them up a lot. They believe there's some second baptism of the Spirit to, that is that 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 comes for some who did you didn't quite get you didn't get the full thing, and so there's another baptism of it coming. And they usually believe incorrectly and not biblically that the sign of that is when you can speak in tongues. Now, now you're now you're fully you're fully redeemed. That 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 has a hard time in Scripture, and those of you that are upset of that about that today, you certainly can email Speedy. Uh, but remember, baptism of the Spirit, you know, God has spoken to us in, in Spirit-giving words, and we don't need to confuse that. We talked about this back at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you want to write that down, verses 12 and 13. The baptism of the Spirit occurs at conversion when the Spirit enters the believing sinner and gives that sinner new life. Scripture teaches that our spirit is dead in our sin, and when we repent of our sin, hey, hey, Peter, Acts chapter 2, what are we supposed to do? Our hearts are cut. We've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. You now have the Holy Spirit, and this was a game changer. Now the standard rises because it's the church age now. We also have to stop comparing ourselves before Acts chapter 2. We certainly need to know what happened. It's important, and Jesus is teaching, but we've got to stop comparing ourselves to the Peters and the Johns before Acts chapter 2. The church age doesn't start to Acts chapter 2, and when the church age is established, we now have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the redeemed receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God, comes into our dead spirit, makes it alive, and when that happens, there's a new life. Okay? And what we do is pretend that the standard is these guys before they receive the Holy Spirit. That's not the standard. Well, you know, I'm kind of like them. They never got it right. They denied Jesus. Uh, they didn't have any boldness. Uh, there really was no change in them. They acted just like everybody else. Not after Acts chapter 2, they didn't. Now, did they do everything right? No, they had some arguments and some disagreements. I'm not saying they were perfect. But their boldness, they went from, oh, no, don't let them know we're with Jesus, to we want you to know we're with Jesus. And we're going to say who he is, even to people who are eventually going to kill us, and we will never stop saying who he is. Those days are over. Why? Because we now have the Holy Spirit. Now, do they have to wait? That, that, see, they use that. They didn't. The Holy Spirit was handed out to the church age and says, now going forward, all the redeemed will receive the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul just said. He said, remember that everybody is, is baptized in the same spirit, meaning that change is taking place in everybody. Now, the gifts may differ, but it all comes from the same spirit, and it was given to you when? At redemption. And a lot of times when you hear these people preach the second baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
If you really listen to what they're saying, they're talking about sanctification. Now, do we mature in the faith? Absolutely. Am I, the, am I at the same maturity level I was two years ago? No. Does that mean that I somehow received a second baptism of the Holy Spirit? No. It believe, what it's saying is when that Spirit had entered my life, now through prayer, spiritual disciplines, knowing the Word, getting closer with Christ, getting stronger in the faith, that Spirit that was given to me has now grown. It's more powerful, and that, that, that feeding of the Spirit has made it more powerful, and then that, has, that, is, that is showing itself through me growing in the faith and growing in my knowledge. I, there was no time that I went from I don't know anything to, oh, there it is. No, it, it's sanctification growing in the spirit that I received at redemption. Now, why was my life not that way when I was a cultural Christian? Because I'd never received the, the spirit. I wasn't redeemed. It wasn't that I was sitting around waiting on it. I said, well, it'll, it's spirit's going to show up at some point. When I start speaking in tongues, that's when I got it. No, what happened was I didn't have any fruit flowing out of my life because I didn't have the Spirit at all. I believed, I had a demonic faith, I believed in Jesus, but I had never been redeemed by Jesus. Once I was redeemed, I received the Holy Spirit, and it was evident. Somebody say amen. So uh, so anyway, so he says this, he, he's making it very clear, uh, and he says nowhere, listen, nowhere, all believers have experienced this once for all baptism Write this down, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Nowhere does Scripture command us to seek this baptism because we've already experienced it, and it need not be repeated. If we have been redeemed, the filling of the Spirit, write this down too, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the filling of the Spirit has to do with the Spirit's control of our lives, sanctification. That's what I'm talking about. And you will see that. Paul talks to Thessalonica in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, hey, you're doing great. Continue to grow because it, it, you, it, God's will is your sanctification. Keep doing what you're doing, but do it all the more. Keep growing. He doesn't say, hey, you guys have done really great, and when you finally receive the Holy Spirit, you'll do even better. No, he says keep going, keep growing, and that's what Paul says to the church at Ephesus as well. We are commanded to be filled and, 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 and we can be if we yield all to Christ and ask him for the Spirit's feeling. This is, this, is, this is us growing. To be baptized by the Spirit means that we belong to Christ's body, and to be filled with the Spirit means our bodies belong to Christ. Does everybody understand that? So, so to be baptized by the Spirit, that's when we say, I'm leaving faith in myself. I'm repenting of my sins. I don't want to belong to self. I want to belong to you. So then... Then, then we have been baptized by the Spirit, and then we get filled with the Spirit, meaning now through sanctification, he's come into our body, and then our body is being transformed. It even says, Romans tells us, that it's predestined that if we have been redeemed, we'll keep growing and becoming more like Christ. You know why he says Christ is so powerful? That's going to happen. So if it's not happening, it isn't because you, have, you need to keep seeking some second baptism of the Spirit. It's not happening because your your spiritual life has stalled and you're not growing. You're not seeking. You're not there's no spiritual disciplines. You're not you're not doing what you need to do to access the power that is sitting there available to you. Um, and so it says this. If you also look at write this down too. I just mentioned Romans eight. Now he's going to mention that too. And one this is a Waresby. Some of his uh, commentaries and some of it's coming from John Phillips too. Uh, but Romans chapter eight verse fourteen through sixteen tells you that the evidence of the Spirit's baptism at conversion is in the witness of the Spirit within. Romans 8, 14 through 16. It is not speaking in tongues. That's not what Scripture says. never says that. Now, do, can people speak in tongues? Yes. Is that a spiritual gift? Yes. Are there some things that come along with it, how it's supposed to be done? Chapter 14, we're going to unpack that, and it's going to make some people very unhappy. But it's just Scripture. I didn't come up with it. All the believers in the Corinthian assembly had been baptized by the Spirit, but it says in 1 Corinthians 12.30, which we're going to get to, that not all of them spoke in tongues. It's, it, it says they all didn't. So what? So some of them were saved, some of them weren't. Some of them had the Spirit, some of them didn't. It doesn't say that. It says they all had the same Spirit, and some spoke in tongues and some didn't. It doesn't speak this as some indicator that you finally have received the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that at all. 
The evidence of the Spirit's filling is the power for witnessing. Acts 1.8, write that down. Acts 1.8, it, it's joyfulness, it's, it's submission. Ephesians 5.19, Christ-likeness. Galatians 5.22-26, and the growing understanding of the Word. John 16.12-15, all these things in Scripture say this is the evidence of someone having the Spirit. That nowhere in Scripture says, well, it's really only one thing if they speak in tongues. No, I just gave you one, two, three, four, five places in the Bible that list that all these are the evidence of the Spirit. So it's not just one thing. The Scripture doesn't say that at all. How do you know it's not just one thing? Because the Bible says it's not one one thing. It says it's a number of things. It's fruit of the Spirit, and those fruits are different. They're not just tongues. It doesn't say that. Um, And that's Scripture. And then the next thing is what? The diversity, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, diversity means what to be under control, uh, and uh, and and the reason why that we want we want this diversity of the different spirits is to see that we are one church, but we all have different things to do. And if you don't have the diversity, if you don't have these gifts and you don't have them under control, if all you have is diversity, but you don't have them under control, guess what you got then? You got anarchy is what you got. You, you don't you don't have God in control. You don't have order. I'm telling you one thing: we do not want to be in a place where there is no order. And I've seen some services, and you have too, that don't appear to be in order at all. And you say, well, everybody's just showing their gift. Well, it better be under order. Whether all the gifts are competing, it's just out of control. There's just gifts going everywhere. And everybody's not together. Everybody's not under his authority. We're not all moving in the same direction. Well, if that's the case, then we have anarchy. The body needs different function if it is to live, grow, and serve. There's no question about that. Uh, But remember, we're not to elevate one gift above another, or are we not to desire another gift? Look at 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, then uh, where uh, where would the sense of hearing come from? If the whole body were an ear, where, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Underline that. As he chose. You don't choose your spiritual gift. God does. And if we were all a single member, then where would the body be? And it is there, it, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Uh, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker uh, are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, uh, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the, in the church first apostles, notice that first, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Underline that. Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you still a still more excellent way. And then he's going to get into his chapter about love. And this is where he's talking about that. The chapter 13 that we're going to do next week, it is about love, but you need to hear what twelve's what ending. It's saying that this is also the proper way to handle the gifts. Well, what he's saying is, look, the way God made the body, we have parts of our body that are private and we cover them up. We have other parts of the body we don't cover up at all. Does that mean that some parts of the body are more honorable than others? No, it does say, though, there are things, certain parts of the body that you see wide out wide out in the open, and there's other parts of the body that are functioning doing things that not everybody sees. You don't go out and present it to the whole world, but it's still working as part of the body. Does that make one more honorable? Is it more honorable because we cover it up? No. He's saying it's covered up because of its, the, what it does for the body. It should be covered up. 
But there's other things that we don't cover up because of what they do for the body. He said, this is the same way with the spiritual gifts. And he says, what you've got to stop doing is you've got to stop desiring to be something that God hasn't gifted you to be. And can I tell you another thing that's part of the arrogance that, that causes a lot of problems? And I've seen this. People who think you should have the same gifting they have. They want to take their spiritual gift and they want to force it on you. And if you don't have the one they have, they think you're, you're less spiritual than they are. This gets into that thing about speaking in tongues. I've dealt with that before. I've had some people that just, I've had people tell me that if I just got some sort of theological thing correct, then they could consider me, I'd be a full Christian. If you just understood the Eucharist, Rick, if you just understood predestiny, if you just understood free will, if you just understood tongues, oh, for you to speak in tongues, Rick, then you could really do something. And, and see, that's that attitude that, you know what Paul says? That's the wrong attitude. You let the Lord deal with Rick as, he's, as, as he gives him, and you let the, the Lord deal with you. Now, we're not talking about people that are doing things that are sinful. We're not talking about that. But when it gets to the giftedness, I got news for you. Your giftedness doesn't mean any more to God than somebody else's. And, uh, and some of you desire gifts that you really shouldn't desire because you know why you don't have them? Because you couldn't handle them. You would mistreat them. You would abuse them. And, and some of us have been given the gift of service for no other reason than to humble us. Are you willing to serve? Do you realize how arrogant it is to say that you think you should have some other gift when Jesus himself took the gift of serving? I mean, he lowered himself to wash the feet, including a guy who was going to betray him. That's the one that gets me, man. What about when Judas's feet came up there? And he washed them too. Can you imagine that? Would you wash the feet of somebody you knew was about to turn on you just to try to do something to show how they should be act with each other? So what we say is Jesus told us, I mean, King of kings, Lord of lords, that he would wash our feet and he is our authority. But I'll tell you one thing, when I've been given a place of importance in the church, I ain't washing nobody's feet. Everybody better start washing mine. And they ought to be thankful I'm here. I don't know where this place will be without me. See, that's the kind of stuff that he's saying. Understand that no matter where God has placed you, the body needs different functions. If it's going to live, if it's going to grow, if it's going to serve, the members promote unity as they discover their dependence on what? God first, but what else? Each other. He's saying, good, good luck just being a body that's nothing but an eye. You're not going to smell anything. You're not going to hear anything. You're not going to pick up anything. You're not going to go anywhere. You need the rest of the body. And the rest of the body needs you. And then we all need God. And then he's going to go into 13 to tell us. He says that the diversity of the members fulfills the will of God in the body. And that's what he's telling us at the end. But but don't miss that, that, that right here in 29 – are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gift of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, do all earnestly desire the higher gifts? No, you shouldn't. But don't miss, he does say that not everybody has the same gift, but if you don't have certain gifts of the Spirit, as long as you have the fruits of the Spirit, you're redeemed. Just because you don't have the ability to do something that is a spiritual gift that God hasn't gifted you that, don't you let anybody tell you that's a sign that you're lost or that you haven't, you haven't received a, some second baptism of something. <laughs> that's not what Scripture says at all. And I think, would we agree? I think most of the time if we were going to really figure out what God says about this, instead of fretting and watching YouTube channels and all these different messages and somebody said this and somebody said that, why don't we just look here? Why don't we just go to the Spirit? Did you see how quick the Scriptures said it is not true, that if you don't have the gift of tongues, you don't have the Spirit? Do you realize how quickly the Scriptures refuted that? But how many times have you been told that? Well, then, then they must have just heard that from somebody, and that just must be an opinion because it's not Scripture. And, uh, and we're going to talk about, as we go through this, we're going to get into talking about love in, the, in next week, and then beyond that, we're going to start talking about that there's ways that these gifts should be handled and there's ways they shouldn't be handled. And you're going to find one theme in all this. 
God is not a God of chaos. And he does not share his glory with anybody, especially us. We're only, the only thing that's good about any of us, any of us is him, and we should be thankful for the grace and the mercy that he bestowed upon us, and we should be thankful that he would gift us to do anything. And whatever he's gifted us to do, we do it for him. And if it benefits someone else, great. We need him and we need each other. And if the church doesn't understand that, then we are not under his authority. We are in disobedience. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message that you laid out to us. And I pray, Lord, that all of us, um, uh, if we haven't sought to understand our giftedness, that, that maybe we start doing that. We, we start doing uh, what needs to be done to hear from you and you to clarify our gifts that came from you. And not one gift is more important than another gift. Uh, and if we have been a, given a gift uh, that uh, is evident, that, uh, that we not let that um, be something that does anything other than glorify you. And I pray today, Lord, that you eradicate from the church confusion, that you eradicate from the church heresy, that you eradicate from the church blasphemy, and may your church be refined and pure as uh, an obedient and devoted bride to you, the bridegroom, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.